Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of here at Voice of Adoptees. Today, we're joined by a amazing woman out in uh, Seattle, Washington, Dr. Rebecca Wellington. Her story is going to include some very interesting tidbits. We're going to hear about her journey, and we get to definitely are going to be talking about her upcoming book that she's very excited to share, and we're going to get to know her. So, Dr. Wellington, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. And please uh, just call me Becca. Uh, all my students call me Becca. Um, okay, Becca yeah. it is. <laughs> um, well, welcome, and we're glad that you're here. So let's start from the beginning, and why don't you share a little about yourself with everyone? Uh, well, uh, I live in Seattle, Washington, um, and I uh, uh, live with my husband and my two daughters and our dog and our cat. And um, I have, I'm a lifelong teacher. My field is education. Um, so I've taught in outdoor education after college and then um, uh, got my master's in teaching at Seattle University and taught high school for a number of years, which I loved. And then while I was actually um, pregnant with my first daughter, uh, who's now 13, I started working on my doctorate at the University of Washington in education history. I'm a diehard historian, fan of history, um, which is kind of connects with uh, my thoughts about adoption and why I wrote this book. Um, but I spent seven years working on my doctorate at the University of Washington, um, had my second daughter along the way, and um, I've taught at the University of Washington in the College of Education, and I am now currently teaching at um, Seattle University in their uh, College of Education, which is also a program I'm an alum of. And I'm also teaching down in Tacoma at the University of Puget Sound in the School of Education. So I work a lot with um, pre-service teachers and undergraduates who are just interested in education and, um, I love it. I'm I am a very passionate about education and passionate about uh, teaching. <laughs> yeah, don't, wow, I can tell. I was going to say, it sounds like you're educating the entire West Coast of the United States. <laughs> I know. I've got to get to the point where I I need to settle in at one university. It's uh, I love both Seattle University and University of Puget Sound, but it's kind of frying my brain doing the two two school uh gig so yeah do you so um have you ever thought about developing your own curriculum to sell maybe at one point developing your own online curriculum to sell uh, to universities i mean hey that sounds like a good marketing i know that's a <laughs> definitely a thing um i i do a lot of curriculum development and work with a lot of k you know k12 teachers doing that's sort of what i teach is curriculum development and education history um, but yeah, I'm kind of hesitant to get into the marketing side of it. I, I love teaching. And so I like to really talk about and discuss teaching and community building. And, um, so I, I think for me, it's my passion is being in the classroom, being with, with makes people. Sense. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. You can let someone else worry about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 that sounds good. Great. That's yeah. awesome. So let's talk about your adoption. So, um, you were adopted fairly young. Mm -hmm. um, I was two days old, so I was really young. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So you were adopted uh, two days old. That's very young. Um, obviously, I can't ask you if you have any memories uh, yeah. because that's pretty early. Um, yeah. What about, uh, you know, I know that your uh, past uh, with adoption, you know, you, you don't focus as much on it back then compared to now with what you're working on and your yeah. book, but what can you um, like yeah. share or brush upon some uh, little bit of history yeah. there, kind of 
what you know if you know about the circumstances of what happened or if you want to talk about that and if not that's perfectly yeah. fine and just just so we kind of know a little bit about the backstory of you know the whole question a lot of people have is what's the adopted child story yeah yeah no and i think you know knowing that backstory is so important especially you know from the historical perspective we all have histories right um so this has been a really interesting last couple of years for me because I'm new onto the scene of adoption, which is funny to say I'm adopted, but I spent the first 40 years of my life really not identifying as somebody who's adopted. I've always known I was adopted and I just grew up thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not part of my identity. That's for other people, right? You know, and, and to be really honest and and vulnerable i you know i would think oh people who are having a hard time with adoption they make it a big deal i'm fine um and then two things happened to me i uh gave birth to my first child uh in 2010 uh and you know giving birth to my first daughter that was the first time in my life i met somebody i'm biologically related to and it uh, blew my mind and triggered a lot of things for me. And, you know, you asked, do you remember, you know, being adopted? And I was adopted at two days old. I will honestly say that giving birth and connecting with my own biological child through that birth process triggered really, really deep memories that were of my birth. Um, and what became crystal clear to me through the birth of my first child and my and my second daughter was that adoption is traumatic and i understood for the first time that my birth mother had a traumatic experience in giving birth to me and giving me away that there's no possibility that it wasn't traumatic for her and for both of us um and then several years later uh after my second daughter was born my sister um who's was two years older than me, um, also adopted at about two days old. She died of a drug overdose. And that also just, you know, uh, capsized the metaphorical boat of my life um, and um, really set me on a path of discovery. And I was doing a lot of uh, trauma therapy or, you know, um, grief counseling and a lot of things came up and I, I realized I have really got to look into, you know, my history and understand things. And I started to do some inquiry and realized I basically, I was born in 1975 in the state of California and adopted through a private adoption transaction. My birth certificate that I have and have a connection with has been falsified it has my adopting parents on there as my parents so it's a I consider that a falsified document uh and I cannot access um my original birth certificate and California is one of the states that has the most conservative closed adoption laws in the country and I, I would literally have to go and get a petition from a judge in a scenario of life and death to get access to my original birth records. And, um, and so I just hit this wall and I thought, what, what am I going to do? How do I get some answers? Not necessarily like I need to connect with my birth family, but I just wanted to know my past and know my ancestry and, and know who my people are. And, um, um, I do a lot of research and work, collaborate with, really amazing indigenous scholars and um through working with them i've i've learned a lot about the importance of ancestry and your roots and and your homeland and um and i don't know what mine is and so as a historian i thought okay well i can't find it this way i'm going to just start diving into the history and the policy of adoption practices to understand how we got to this point because that's kind of how as a historian, how my mind works. Like I have to know the backstory. Um, and so that put me on the path of writing 
my book, which is called Who is a Worthy Mother? An Intimate History of Adoption. And um, it's coming out spring 2024 through the University of Oklahoma Press. And it's a really interesting sort of hybrid. It's not a hardcore academic text. I really wrote it. It's a, it's a lot of memoir, a lot of personal story, but dovetailed into kind of the evolution of uh, adoption practices and policies in the United States over the last hundred years. So, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, <it. laughs> that's, that's a mouthful. All right. <laughs> Let's, yeah. okay. I, I had one question. I was really hoping that I wouldn't forget it and I didn't. So that's good. good. So my burden question was, well, more like of a kind of an observation. When you were talking about how, you know, 40 years, you didn't really connect with uh, being adopted into the full meeting until you had your firstborn child. And you yeah. mentioned that's the first time you got to see a biological connection. And yes. that just that that statement made me think about how many people that I know who are adopted, when they have a child, the same feeling, it changes yeah. everything because for the it first time, they have their own blood looking at them, and they can finally see like, wow, I, you know, my child has my smile. My child has yeah. my eyes. And for, you know, small things like that, a lot of people, you know, the people who aren't adopted, they kind of take that, um, you know, they, they get that opportunity every day of their life. They don't uh, take it for granted. That's what I was trying. That's what I'm trying to say. They take it for yeah. granted that they get to look in the eyes of their parents every day and say, oh, yeah, my dad looks like this. My mom looks like this. Makes sense. And adopted children, especially when we don't have access to records or if they were falsified, like you said your birth certificate was, you know, I was adopted from Russia and international adoption is a whole different thing. I mean, yeah, they yeah. they were falsifying papers over there. Most of the time, the person they listed as your father wasn't even your father. It's just a, yeah. I mean, you know, so the first time you see a biological photo or you get to see that, it ch changes everything. I mean, I... Yeah. I I remember it like yesterday, 10 years ago, when I saw a photo of my biological mother for the first time, I, wow. me I immediately saw her smile and mm. I, I was just in shock. I'm like, that's unbelievable. But yeah. anyway, so that, that's a really cool kind of connection you made because a lot of people feel that same connection. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, what was when you when you had your first child and you saw that biological connection, you said that now you kind of understand the importance of going back. Was it at that moment when as soon as you had and you gave birth to your first child or did you kind of have to think about it for a little bit and say, you know, maybe I should go back and look into who am I? That's yeah. what I like to ask on the podcast is who am I? You know, yeah. journey yeah. of self-discovery and everything. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, what was really clear to me, you know, the first couple months when I, you know, when my first daughter was born, it just triggered a lot of thoughts about my birth mother that I hadn't ever understood before, you know, because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been a mother, I hadn't given birth to a baby and, and she did, right? Um, and I wouldn't say that at that time I was like, oh, I've got to find my people. It was kind of, that was the first piece of it, but it wasn't conscious. Um, I think, and I write about this in the book. I, um, I, from a research perspective, uh, my, my doctoral dissertation is on, um, student resistance to assimilating education in off-reservation boarding schools in the progressive era. And I won't go into the history of it too much, but the U.S. government had a practice of, you know, taking children and um, in, uh, the brutal practice of assimilating indigenous children into, you know, a, a white colonial, um, you know, identity uh, through education. And so I've, through my research, I've really gotten to sort of understand the power of assimilation, assimilation projects. 
Um, and I've also, in working with Native historians, really come to understand the importance of genealogy and your and ancestry and like the blood, right? You were talking about sort of the bloodline um, and, and knowing the people who came before you and that we are connected to them and that their stories are part of our stories. And so, you know, I had my first child and then I was sort of in this research world of learning about assimilation and, and working with amazing indigenous scholars who speak a lot about the importance of the past and ancestral connection. And sort of it all kind of culmin started to culminate in my mind. And I realized I need to know you know, my past and, and I need to know it. Like there's a through line, right? Our past, our present, our future, my future are my babies, right? Who I'm biologically, they're, they're my blood. Right. They want to know their past, right. you know? Um, and I also think there's a lot of truth to sort of where your ancestors walked, you know, what did they do? Where were they walking on the planet and, and how were they interacting with each other and the, in the world around them that shapes who we are today and um I, I just didn't have those answers I still don't have those answers but one way to fill the hole for me is to understand why I don't have the answers right and so I had to look at the the policy history um and the practices um to understand that um yeah, and I talked a little bit about assimilation and one of the really kind of one of the threads I pull on in the book is that a lot of what a, a, what has shaped adoption practices internationally and, you know, on U.S. soil uh, is an assimilation agenda, you know, like we can take this baby from over here and put them in this family and like literally cut the cord and they will become part of this culture. Um, and I, I, I think that's just profoundly damaging because uh, you can't cut the cord, right? <laughs> right. I mean, and they're all going to grow up and they're all going to find out eventually where they're from one day. And that's going to spike a lot of curiosity. Yes. Um, I mean, talk about, yeah. And people wonder why there's a higher rate of identity issues with adopted individuals. There's a lot of, um, you know, I could tell you how many times I've been contacted over the years by college uh, uh, students or professors who are doing this research on adopted children from this country or medical conditions for adopted children. And it's like, you know, it makes you kind of question it. And you're thinking, you know, why do they want to find out all this information about me? Because the last thing you want is to be adopted and think you're so different and you're so, because you, you know, people that have traumatic backgrounds, they don't want to talk about it. They'd, yeah. They, they want to fit in. They want to be seen by everyone as the same. So, you know, I can understand how it can bring up emotions. Um, think feelings that you didn't know you had that have been there for a while deep down inside. And, you yeah. know, you have those triggers that set off certain things. And, um, but, I wanted to say something about, uh, you mentioned you're working with a lot of experts to find out history or like the roots of your background. Um, have you ever done any of the DNA testing, the 23andMe, the ancestry? Yeah. So that's a really great question. And and a lot of people have said, oh, why don't you just do that? And um, so there's a couple of things that I, I actually, so I, I tried to find out and, um, you know, talk to family and tried to see, is there a way I can get access, like a paper trail to who my biological family is? And and there was nothing, which was just kind of astounded me. I'm like, how do you, how does a baby, a newborn get transferred from here to there? And there isn't a paper trail. Like, so part of me was just like furious. Um, I mean, that's like, it's the really like the commodification of a baby. It's, it's insane. But I, I actually started, I, I ordered a 23andMe kit and I thought, cause I know that's really opened a lot of doors for people. And then um, I kind of, the other thing that happened for me <laughs> in all this, like having babies and around the time when my sister passed away, I 
got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and I'm fine. I'm good. I'm have an amazing doctor here in Seattle. I'm very fortunate and privileged to have great access to excellent healthcare, which is a privilege. Um, but I, it's a genetic thing. And so there, I started to have concerns about doing 23andMe because you're selling your DNA essentially. And, and our, I actually talked with an adoption attorney here in Seattle and, and she advised me to not do it. And, um, my husband who works in, 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 um, cybersecurity and he, he was a little hesitant just, um, because I, I don't know what the future is with, you know, I, identity security and me selling my DNA and having a autoimmune disease in terms of, you know, getting access to insurance in the future. And so my husband was concerned. And then this attorney said, you know, you're putting your, your identity at risk, you know? Um, so she advised, cause once you do it and you send your DNA off your saliva swab, like that's it, it your DNA is on the market. Um, and so I decided, yeah, I'm going to hold off on that. And, and then I went down this rabbit hole of writing the book and that really helped that kind of satiated some answers for me. And I think, I also think something might happen through the book. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it will. I mean, you know, it's, it sounds intriguing. We're going to, get into that in a minute and you can go as far in depth as you can tell us hopefully we can get maybe a little sneak peek of something that'd be cool <laughs> yeah. um so you're figuring all this out you're um have you ever been open about your adoption with your members of your family today like uh, do your kids ever ask questions about it oh yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's one thing that's really pushing me now so my daughters are 11 and 13 and they've they know I'm writing the book and, and they are, they are like, we want to know, we want to know our ancestry. So they're, you know, that's been sort of a catalyst for me too, is it's not just me that loses connection. It's, you know, the next generation, right. That, 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 that line is cut and, and it impacts future generations yeah um, that's definitely one way to look at it it's almost like you know maybe you aren't 100 percent comfortable uh, yourself getting to know more information but as soon as you have kids it's almost your responsibility to provide them yeah. with information and it, it the whole thing changes now all of a sudden you feel obligated because they're going to want to know and yeah. the cycle continues because, you know, it's the same same for anyone who's adopted. I mean, the way I saw it, you know, my adopt, of course, international adoption is way different, but yeah. in, in some ways, but, you know, we still all came from different people to begin with, and we all figure out our own identity as we get older. But, you know, the, a lot, I have a lot of debates with a lot of uh, people adopted from Russia. Um, we have big communities. There's over 60,000 in the United States alone, more than that. Um, there's a ton of Russian adoptees around the world, but um, a large percentage of them, say almost half of them aren't that very interested in a lot of details about Russia. There's a lot of anger about it. There's, yeah. and of course the political situation doesn't help anything either, yeah. but, um, and you find that as soon as they have children, they suddenly think, well, by law, they can, they're dual citizens. They can claim it through their parents. So for example, when I have kids, they can be Russian citizens and American citizens. Wow. So, and you don't want to be that parent that doesn't like give them the option when they get older to have another yeah. citizenship if they want, because they're going to not be too happy about it. But yeah. um, there's a lot of other, you know, implications, but to get to my point, you know, I think it's, the responsibility of because your role changes from yourself to now you're a parent but yes. you're, you you as a parent you should feel obligated to provide as much information to the child and make them come up with their own decisions as they get older because they might be more interested than you and that's okay you know they may not share all the views you do but i just think you know 
you're, you're being, you know, smart about it. You know, I'm, I'm complimenting you for seeing it from that perspective. And I think that's very important. Yeah. Well, the other thing that came up for me, and I know this is a catalyst for a lot of people to, I mean, there are a lot of amazing people who have been fighting to open records and, you know, uh, to unseal records, um, largely from the, the health perspective, you know, and that kind of came to the forefront for me when I got my Crohn's diagnosis, which is, it's a genetic disease. Like I inherited that from one of my ancestors, from somebody, you know, and I very likely could pass it down to my daughters, you know, and, and, and knowing that our, our, our biological history and our predispositions for, for different forms of cancer or, you know, autoimmune diseases, or, you know, that's, that's a matter of life and death for a lot of people to know that. Like I have a number of friends who have like a long lineage of breast cancer and they have made really proactive strategic decisions knowing that they have like a, you know, 60% chance of getting breast cancer. And so knowing that history is so important. Um, and I've spent my whole life, you know, filling out doctor's forms saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And now I'm like, oh, I know I have Crohn's, you know? Um, and if I had known that, that I had a predisposition for that, it, you know, the years leading up to the diagnosis would have been a lot easier for me. It was, I had a really hard time until I figured, you know, finally figured out, oh, this is what's going going on for me, you know? Right. And so you think there's no, do you think there's not enough sympathy in the uh, courts in uh, Seattle or California in that area to, uh, with the fact that now you have this new diagnosis? Have you tried to persuade a judge to release it on the grounds of medical reasons? I have not. I have not. Um, I think I think I could probably make a decent case for that. Um, and I might get there. There's a part of me, you know, it's it's taken a lot for me to to write the book. I mean, it's an emotional journey, you know, and, and considering that like a decade ago, I didn't even like I didn't even identify as an adoptee. Like for me, uh, I've been really off of social media for for a while. Just politically, it was just a probably a good thing. Day. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> but when I got my um my book went into peer review and, and the editors were like, we're going to, this thing is going to get published. You've got to get on social media. Um, so I'm kind of new to social media and I'm really trying to get the word out. But I, for the first time, like two months ago, identified myself on social media as an adoptee, which that was huge for me. Like yeah. I just realized I don't identify as an adoptee. So you know, I'm kind of making, taking some baby steps. The book is this huge step. And then I just am going to see where it, it takes me. And maybe after it's come out, I'll be ready to take that next step and really pursue, you know, a case in California. I, I mean, it's just been astounding for me doing the research and just realizing I was born in probably the worst state in terms of you know birth record access literally it's california is the worst and i they are still just locked down so tight um anybody born i think before like 1994 like you just don't you can't get them um and I think the reason behind that and this is kind of one of the claims in my book is just there's a hundred plus year history of distrust of birth mothers and predominantly the women who are losing their babies through forced relinquishment and a lot of just really abusive practices are, are mothers of color, indigenous women, poor women, you know, working class, really vulnerable women. And on the flip side, you have a lot of adopting families who have a lot of privilege and they 
if you look at who's been advocating behind these policies, it's there, there are a lot of politicians who are have adopted children and and there's they just don't want to break that seal, you know. So it's it's a really it's a privileging of the adopting community against the birth mother community. And we still that is still largely shaping policy, unfortunately. Right. And I feel there's going to be a divide in that for a long time because I don't think there's an easy solution especially yeah. i mean there should be i mean it you can call it just being a good human being but uh, we all know that's a little complicated these days there's just too much yeah. too much going back and forth but i'm sure you know people who write books about it or are open about it like you you're discovering all this you're going to be providing another resource another tool out there to have the world look at adoption differently and i think that is what we're all really trying to do yeah, yeah. I think the pot this podcast is part of it. I think it's just great. More and more people are just having conversations about it and uh, in a way problematizing or sort of disrupting sort of old narratives about adoption, you know, and sort of these stagnant perspectives like, oh, all adoption is good and babies should just be handed out, you know, and they'll be better with that family. Um you know, it's like, well, what's behind all that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, when uh, when I went back to Russia the first time uh, with my mom to see my whole biological side of the family, my, my adoptive mother had to sit there and explain to them that Americans don't adopt Russian kids to put to be put in labor camps. And no, we don't adopt Russian babies to use their limbs. I mean, the Russian people are amazing people. I love them. They're, they're the most hospitable people in the world. It's the government that I'm just not a fan of, to be honest. But um, they've been told for the last 50 plus years that Americans only adopt children in Russia for terrible reasons. So what? that's why what I got discovered over there, the family was amazed that he's actually healthy. He's not missing an arm or a leg. I mean, and wow. they, they thought that they were their kids would be experimented on and it, the older generations, it's that old sense of distrust. It's back to the Soviet era of yeah. don't trust the Americans and the Americans are don't trust the Russians. And but, you know, we're, we're kind of back into that. Aren't yeah, we? exactly. <laughs> and we're living yeah. proof. That, and we're trying to now change that narrative, like you said. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to share that little tidbit. Um, wow. but let's let's move on to your book. I want to hear all about it. What inspired you besides being adopted? What inspired <laughs> you behind it? What's the idea? And what's the number one message you want to get out there to the public? Um, wow, that's a great question. Um, I think what it inspired me or really was the catalyst sort of, and I had to do it was after my sister died. I, I, I wrote it for her. She was adopted. I was also adopted and she gave a child up for adoption and she had a really hard life, um, and really had a lot of trauma. And I think adoption was a huge part of that. And in many ways, she was just not seen or heard and sort of silenced in birth and silenced in death. And so I wrote the book for her uh, and I write a lot about her in it. Um, and, you know, she, you're right, as an adopt, adopted baby and then as a birth mother, um, I think her, her story needs to be told. Um, and I guess my message in the book i mean part of it is i i tell my my personal story and her story and i and i really want to make the history of it real to people i think a lot of people don't know the history and so you know when when these stories of the past are told it changes how we understand the present and how we move forward and and i i hope that through having a more complex uh, and sort of visceral understanding of the history of adoption in the United States. Um, people will change the way they think about it. And, and I, I hope it can be a catalyst for change for adoption practices. And my big kind of takeaway is that, that it is 
adoption is sort of the fulcrum point that 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 crucial piece within how our nation differentially values women and mothers and um you know women like i said women who are disenfranchised through racism and classism and don't have access to resources tend to be the ones whose babies are taken who are vulnerable um and you know we are at this tipping point in our nation with the the Dobbs decision and the loss of women's access to make their own decisions about their bodies and about how they mother and and when they mother um and so i feel like this is a really sort of crazy vulnerable time in our nation you know and we need to reassess how how we how we see motherhood uh, and how we value mothers in our country right now. So to piggyback off that a little bit and pick your brain a little, who do you think is uh, ultimately responsible for these poor decision policies that are causing the, you know, like you mentioned, the unfortunately with the lower class income families or the, you know, the not privileged you know families unfortunately they're the ones that are experiencing this loss of children and the birth mothers getting their children taken away and taken advantage of by the system is the system the healthcare system or are we blaming the policy makers behind it i think it's a confluence of lots of different forces you know there's a history of pretty abusive practices in social work but there's also been a lot of changes in that and um, you know, when sort of rabbit hole I go down is looking at the Indian adoption pro project in the 1970s, where it was sort of really literally like assimilation through adoption and, and indigenous babies were being taken out of, you know, native homes. And that was U.S. government. It's just crazy. Um, and and now you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say this one person did it or this group did it. I think at the end of a lot of kind of destructive actions is just ignorance. And I think there's a lot of people in policy, in government and in social work who really did want to do right by people. And they honestly thought, oh, this is the right thing. This is the best thing. This is the best thing for the baby. This is the best thing for the birth mother. But they were making a, a decision in a space of a lot of ignorance. And, um, and so, you know, I don't want to get into this space of, oh, they did, you know, these people are bad and these people are good. I think where we need to go to is just let's all learn and understand different perspectives and different stories, historical narratives, so that we can do right by each other, you know? A absolutely. Um, yeah, very well said. I think a lot of the issues uh, around adoption and these policies being made are the lack of knowledge of adoption and the lack of personal knowledge of adoption. I, th I believe strongly that more people who are adopted who want to have change in the system should maybe try to advance their education or be involved in government more and make these decisions for adopted children because they were one. So they understand how it works. And I think, you know, one- Having a seat at the table. Exactly, hundred yeah. percent. I, I attended an adoption conference a few years ago down in Washington, DC. And I was in a room of about 50 to 60 adoption professionals. So there's a combination of lawyers, adoption agency directors, social workers, you know, all who were studying adoption. And it was basically this hour long piece of where everyone debated what's the best for adopted children, right? And I was sitting in the back, just kind of like, just listening. And I'm thinking, you know, these are, these are kind of odd, like, you know, so at the end, I they asked for questions and I stood up and I said, I'm just curious real quick, could I get a raise of hand of who's adopted here? Because I assume <laughs> you're talking, you know, from personal experience. And I'm sorry to say there was one person in the room out of 60 plus people that yeah. actually was adopted, not, not, not including myself. And I said, this is 
the problem. <laughs> we need people who are educated in adoption, who can have that personal connection because not only are they going to come up with practical solutions because they're adopted, they're going to have that emotional part of adoption where they're going to take it to a whole new level. It's going to be a, it's a passion almost. They want to defend it. They want to nurture it. It's something they really, really care about. And I think that's, you know, when we care about something, you're going to have a better, you know, result. The end product's going to look a lot nicer when you have a personal connection to it. Yeah, uh, like this, like this book that you're writing, it's going to yeah. be amazing because you have a personal connection to it. So, and it's, it sounds, I the, yeah. I think the other identity that needs to be at the table too are birth mothers. They need to be part of those conversations as well. And part of shaping policy and um, practice too. But a hundred percent, I think one thing that drove me crazy as I, you know, sort of, it started really as like a therapy journey to kind of figure out who am I? What's this past? I, I just read everything I could get my hands on about adoption from an academic perspective, right? The history of adoption in America, you know, history and policy. And by and large, everything has been written by people who are not adopted. And you can see that in their writing. And the one identity group, again, where some, some historical narratives that have been written have been written by people who have adopted. And it definitely changes the, the storyline. And you can hear there, there's a bit of an agenda there to sort of glorify that identity. And, um, and I'm really grateful to the folks at the University of Oklahoma Press who took the book on because I think they saw that I I sort of my I sat in the middle of that Venn diagram of somebody who's worked in in academia and I can bring in the historical research and I'm a bit of an outlier because I'm adopted and I'm willing to share my perspective from a place of vulnerability, which is not that there's not a lot out there that brings all that together, you know? Yeah, that's that's the that's the thing about adoption is every story is so unique and complex mm -hmm. that there's no one like one solution, one answer, one similar background besides you can say, oh, you're an adoptee, me too. And then from there, it's, you know, three hours later after a conversation, you start to see where, you know, where you're from, what the circumstance was. I mean, there's just so much, mm -hmm. there's so many layers to adoption. That's yes. the thing that once you start peeling back one layer, it's like an onion to get to the core, you have to go through, you know, what, you know, the, the obvious signs, the emotional part, the, if you have children, that's a whole nother aspect. Mm -hmm. You're, and then, you know, I mean, you could spend your whole life thinking about what it means. And the reality yeah. is, you know, some people, it will be a challenge for them uh, struggling to how to identify. So the fact that you, you spent 40 years and then all of a sudden you realized, wow, like there's this part of me that I didn't really think about fully until mm -hmm. you, you had your own children. And now that inspired you. And then your sister's story, how that inspired you to write a book. You can see that now you're starting to kind of change perspectives. And I think that is really, really cool because it's going to open up a whole different side to you that you're going to get to discover and pass that on to your family and your, your kids and yeah. I think yeah. it, it's going to be a really special bond that you'll be able to create with them to watch their mother go through that process is going to make them oh. feel more connected. I'm just saying that because I'm speaking from yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah. Well, it, oh. it, I, I believe it's going to be very positive. I mean, like the story with my yeah. adoptive mother and I going back to my orphanage and seeing it wow. from as an adult with her, you know, she yeah. went there and got me all those years ago. And now we're back there as you know, I'm an adult, wow. we're like best friends back there now looking at it and, it's just it's a bond that's something that that's why i interviewed her and got her on here because i'm like i yeah. want i want a recording of this for my kids you know so that's it's cool. but yeah it's just incredible so uh about the book how long is it how long is the book is it chapters <laughs> is it a picture book what's what give me some information oh, no. about this it's a it's a history it is 
published the University of Oklahoma Press. So it's a it's not a picture book. There are no pictures. <laughs> um, but I hope I'm not reading it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want a signed copy though. I want a signed oh, yeah. copy. Hundred uh, percent. It's. I hope that it's accessible for everybody. I don't want it to be a sort of dry, you know, hist. It. I don't want it to be a history textbook. Like I said, a lot of what's out there about the history of adoption, it's pretty dry stuff. I mean, it's incredible stories, but written from a very sort of sterile, you know historical research perspective. And so I really wanted to make it accessible and share personal voice. And um, uh, it, I think it will be, I, I hope a lot of people will enjoy reading it. Um, and it is, it's about 200 pages. So it's a, it's a not, it's not like, you know, a dictionary. <laughs> um, you can read it in a couple of days, I think, hopefully. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's just now starting. Uh, I just signed the contract a couple of weeks ago, and so it's now in the pipeline, and will be out in the spring of 2024. So I think, um, you know, it will be. You can pre-order it starting, I think, January, February of 2024. Um, but it's in the pipeline, and I will be on a book tour next spring. It'll be accessible through Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, and then hopefully at every independent bookstore across the United States. And I hope to, you know, just be out there next spring meeting people and talking about it and sharing it. So that's, that's awesome. With the uh, book tour, is it going to be focused on the entire country or you're going to go to the I'm, East coast, the West oh, coast, yeah. stay on the West well, coast. Yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, I'm kind of going to where I've got friends and family right now. And so I'm going to go down the West Coast, of course, all over Seattle, down through Oregon and California. I've got uh, family and friends in, in California. And then I've got some friends in the Southwest. So I want to do a little Southwest tour. And then, of course, the East Coast, my, all my in-laws are up and down the East Coast. So I want to... Um, you know, hit Boston. I actually, I used to live in Boston. Oh, really? I'm only 45 minutes away from Boston. Oh, okay, so. yeah. Well, yep. I, I went to Simmons University. Uh, yep. for graduate. I did a graduate program there. And so I would love to go speak at Simmons and um, got family in the Boston area. And so definitely want to do Boston, New York, and just, you know, have fun, you know. Yeah, see that's awesome. And, tour around and talk about the book that's my goal that's awesome well yeah you have to let me know when you're out in boston oh yeah so i can get my autograph <laughs> yeah for sure that's awesome i mean it's it's always it's inspiring that you're writing this story you'd be surprised there's a lot of there's a lot of adoptees who are writing their own books um i know have already I... published i'm I'm working on as one as well. So it's, oh, that's so awesome. it's in the, the, the point I was going to make, cause we were just talking about how, you know, you look at the, you look at the history of adoption and you made the comment how it's all dry. It's old. It's sounds like someone who wasn't like you said, adopted, wrote it. And I think yeah. the really cool thing is with the age of the internet and with all the resources we have now, and the fact that we're now starting to kind of show the world and talk about adoption and what who who are adoptees, we have the ability to write the new chapters, right? Mm -hmm. Our books are the next generation, so we can educate people about what adoption is from an adoptee. And I think yeah. that's what really, really matters. We, yeah. you know, it's an. I think Ronald Reagan made a quote or something like that. I don't know why I just thought of this, but he made the quote that, you know, we have the power to begin the world over again. Mm -hmm. And I believe with adoption, adoptees have the power to change the view and the narrative. That's why we're yeah. out here speaking about it. That's why we're writing books. That's why we, you know, we were employed by half of the United States universities like yourself. And, uh, you know, we're, we're educating people about this. So that's, yeah. That's, that's it's all amazing. about telling your story, just like you said. Gotta exactly. Tell so, so this this book's going to be very accessible to buy online. Um, 
Absolutely. We yeah. have we have uh, your website, RebeccaWellington.com. Um, we we'll list that on our website as well for yeah. a link, so we'll, people can check it out. We'll awesome. Get we'll get you on social media, no problem. We'll make sure no, people I know have, about your I book. And... I have a link tree uh, on my contact site for on the website, so you can connect to me. I'll you know Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I'll be. I'm posting regularly and as we get closer to publication and pre-ordering, there's going to be a lot on there. And um, yeah, that's the great way to, best way to sort of stay in touch. And yeah, and, that's, that's right. awesome. That's awesome. Well, I would like, I'd like to uh, give you one last opportunity to leave us with a couple words of wisdom or a message that you'd like to pass on. Well, I'm just, I'm just really inspired by people like you who are, I, I'm again, sort of new to this community of adoptees, which is crazy because I'm adopted and I'm um, so inspired by folks in your generation who are just bravely, you've been telling your story and, do, and uncovering your truth. And um, I'm just really grateful that, that you're out here doing this and that other people are doing it. And so I, I guess my message is to, just keep being brave and keep telling your story. Oh, that's great. And I, I, that's, that's wonderful. And I have to give a lot of credit to the age of the internet for yes. inspiring <laughs> us to yeah, be, be able to, because, you know, I'm sure a lot of adoptees in the, who are 30 and younger will say, well, when I wanted to find out information, I sat there and Googled and said, how do I find my birth parents? And I'm sure they were all curious at one point, but yeah, um, it's it's incredible, and we're out there sharing our stories. It's so important, uh, and yours is tremendous. And you know, I, it's amazing what you're doing, and you're giving back to your uh, your generation that should, you know, and every other generation should be educated on adoption, the history of adoption, yeah. the the good side, and also the bad side. It's important they get the full image, and, and yeah you're able to provide that. Your book's gonna be able to provide that. Again, it's gonna be coming next spring, 2020, 2024. We can find it at rebeccawellington.com. Uh, we'll get some links for you as well. But again, thank you so much for telling your story. It's been a pleasure, pleasure getting to know you and to hear about the amazing journey that you could just say you're just starting to embark on. Yeah, and yeah. We'll have to we we'll have to get you back on to give us an update when your book gets released. We can oh hundred percent. You have to tell okay. us all about it, and we can tell you. You can tell us what your favorite parts are. We can go more in depth yeah. anytime you'd like. Great. But we're excited for you. Thank you so much for stopping by. It really means a lot uh, wow. here well, with you, us. Everybody. Thank you again. That was Dr. Rebecca Wellington from Seattle, Washington. We'll keep in touch with her and provide updates to come. As a last note to all the listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in with another episode here at Voice of Adoptees. Our podcast will be available every Wednesday. You'll be able to find the links to Rebecca's upcoming book. And we will see you next time here at Voice of Adoptees. Who am I? Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.